Hello, fellow Muppet fans, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch The Muppets Take Manhattan two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And this week we have a very special guest indeed. We are talking to a puppeteer who actually worked as a Muppet performer on this very movie that we're talking about. Guest, please introduce yourself. Yes. Uh, hi, my name is Tim DeHaas, and uh, I was a Muppet performer on The Muppets Take Manhattan. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, before we get into the, the two specific minutes that we'll be talking about, I guess um, we should talk a little bit about how you came to work on The Muppets Take Manhattan. Um, I had... De- developed an interest in puppetry while I was in high school and I'd, I'd been doing everything from shows behind my couch to um, churches to nursing homes to things like that and I was a big fan of the Muppet Show at the time which, sure. you know that was that was required viewing in my house right and there was just some point when I was watching it and I thought to myself, I can do that. Mm. And I just, I, I, I just got it in my head that I wanted to be a Muppeteer. Were you aware of the fact that like the, the Muppet show was in London, Sesame street was in New York, that kind of thing. Um, yes, I think I was at that point. And so the first thing that I had to figure out was how do I make contact with these people? Right. And so we didn't have the internet back then. <laughs> so I was at the um, I live I lived in a college town. So I was up at the at the library and I was looking through all sorts of books that um mentioned Muppets or were about Jim Henson. And so I was writing down names of like publishing houses and, and things like that. And I think I had a list of about six or seven different points of contact that mm. I was planning on writing letters to. And I'm sitting there at the table in the library and I'm staring ahead of me and it dawns on me what I'm looking at in front of me. And that is, I wonder how many people remember these phone directories. <laughs> sure. And this being and this being a college library, there were there were white pages and yellow pages for every major city in the U.S. And so I'm looking at those and I'm thinking to myself, oh. why not? So I I took out the New York white pages and I looked up. They were called at that time. They were called Henson Associates. Right, and I got the I got the phone number, and I just cold called them. Oh wow! Wow! And I and I said, I I want to work for you. What <laughs> do I do? And they were very nice. They said, Well, uh, you need to send us a videotape of your work. I thought, Okay, so. I rented the TV studio up the university for mm. a day. It was 
$80. And I wrote a script and I made some puppets and I, and I designed some skits and I, and I made a, uh, it was probably about 10 minutes and made, made, and it was about four silly skits. And I remember one was this, this puppet that that's going around with an umbrella and it's raining marshmallows. <laughs> and he looked up and he sees all the marshmallows coming down and then the, and then the umbrella comes down and blocks the screen. And then the umbrella comes up again and you see that the, the puppet's eyeballs have been replaced with marshmallows. <laughs> and he looks around and then, and then he realizes at some point that is, that is, that his eyes have turned into marshmallows and he panics and he runs off the screen. That does sound kind of like one of those old weird Muppet variety show sketches. Yeah. Yeah. So I sent, I, I put it uh, together. I got it edited together and I sent it in and then I'm trying to remember how this went. I think I combined some, a couple of things into one trip. I actually, I flew down to New York shortly after. And in, in my inn was the fact that Carol Spinney had been a babysitter for friends of my parents. Wow. No kidding. And Carol Spinney, of course, did Big Bird. Yeah, that, that is and, a great way to, to get your foot in the door. Isn't it, though? <laughs> and somehow that got me on a visit to the Sesame Street set yeah. where I, I met Carol and um he was so nice and so gracious um showing me around sure and then i i managed i somehow managed to talk myself into the muppet headquarters and i met um were, were they in that that townhouse at the time like the the big house on 117 east 69th Street. yeah that, right that's awesome. the one cool oh yeah some some numbers you just never forget, right? Sure. <laughs> and I met Ed Christie, who was like um, the coordinator of the Muppet Workshop, uh-huh. and he gave me a tour of the whole place. And, and how how old were you at this time, roughly? I was eighty two. I was a sophomore in college. Okay. Wow. Okay. So pretty young. And. At that point, I had also been contemplating maybe doing uh, changing majors to puppetry. Ah. Now, I was I was at the University of Maine, and UConn had a uh, puppetry major that was run by Frank Ballard, who was very well known in in puppetry circles at that point. And I remember going to UConn and getting a tour of the program and watching the show that they were doing at the time, which was Babes in Toyland. And one of their students at the time was David Rudman. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Which that must have been right before he started working with the Muppets. Yes. Yes, because he and he ended up, ended up working on the Muppet movie as well on the Muppet Steak Manhattan too. Yeah, that that was what I was thinking about at at the time. Um, and meanwhile, Ed 
sat down with me and looked at my tape. We watched the tape in a conference room and he critiqued it. He, he said, um, uh, my lip syncing was very good. And he had, he had some very nice things to say. I mean, they were just, they couldn't have been nicer hmm. people. That's great. So gracious. That's lovely yeah, that's to what hear. You want to hear. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and then um, I still, still have my rejection letter. Oh. Um, so about two or three months later, I who, got the rejection signed, letter. Yeah. Who signed that rejection letter? Marianne Horstmeyer. Oh, okay. I'm not familiar with that name. No, um, and, but also, I also still have Ed Christie's business card. Oh, though. nice. That's in really good oh. condition. Uh, it is amazing the thing. I am extremely ADD and I am not the most organized person, but it is amazing the things that I have managed to uh, <laughs> keep, keep relatively intact yeah. over the years. And, um, no, it was a very nice letter, and I just, you know, um, we're not basically we like what we see, but we're not. We don't have any openings. We're not holding any auditions at the time, so right. we're just going to keep on on file. And I thought that would be it, and so I I basically forgot about it um, for it was almost a year. And in April of 83, I got um, out of the blue, I got a letter saying, hey, we're having auditions and we want you to come. And I flew down to New York again. They held them at uh, some place that was in Times Square, as I recall. Just like a rehearsal studio, maybe? Yeah, it's like like one of those big studios where one of the walls is all mirrors. Sure. sure. And I, th- okay, the original, the audition was on a Saturday. And that was a very simple audition where they just kind of watched you go through, you know, some basic moves and stuff like that. And, and then said, yeah, we'd like you, we'd like you to come back on Monday. Hmm. For a second audition, and that one was held by Jane Henson, Jim's wife. Oh, wow! And we we did a series of exercises, you know, standing in front of the mirror, doing the whole thing, mm-hmm. and then at at the end of the audition, um, they had us divide into groups of six people, and we. Uh, practiced lip syncing to a recording of Home on the Range. And then each group took turns uh, doing a performance. And I knew that I was in good shape here because they made, I think, four or five groups of six. Uh, They assigned people to groups, and then everybody else formed their own groups. And I was one of the people that they assigned to a group. Oh, okay. And I thought, this is good. This, <laughs> this is good as well. Yeah. Yes. And so we did our performance and they thanked us. They said they'll get in touch. And um, I flew back home. And I think it was about four or five weeks later 
because it was during finals week mm. and I was I was majoring in engineering physics at the time, which huh. was the hardest major on campus. I bet. And I remember distinctly, I had three exams that day where you're generally you're only supposed to have two. But I had optics, electricity and magnetism, two, <laughs> and differential geometry. Wow. And it <laughs> no, was I my brain was mush yeah. at the end of it. I, I imagine so. Yeah. Yes. And I got home and I walked in the door looking blasted. And I said, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) And my mom looks at me with a smile and says, you had a phone call. Ah. And that was the callback for the second audition. Wow. And so I got to go down again. And this time it was conducted by Frank Oz. And they had us do more exercises. And they had us do um, some improv hmm. where he did a character and you you were a character applying for a job. Opposite Frank. Opposite Just Frank. Doing a scene with wow. him. Wow. That's, that's got to be intimidating. Yeah. Oh, as a matter of fact, it was. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and, you know, the, the weird thing was, I think of all places I saw this if it wasn't on 60 Minutes, it was on the Nightly News. They had just done this segment about this man whose job was to test the accuracy of bathroom scales. And so (laughs) you had a conveyor belt with bathroom scales on it. And he would, one at a time as they would go by, he'd step on and check his weight and step off. So I riffed on that as the (laughs) job that, that my character was auditioning for. And, nice. you know, yeah, I was. Well, it's very specific. <laughs> like, they say specific is good in comedy, so. Yeah. And I did okay, but I didn't feel like I did that great. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah, the funny thing was, we were doing this, and in the middle of this, the door to the studio crashes open, and this guy with a hat slung low over his face comes marching into the studio doing a Groucho Marx walk, marches right up to Frank, lifts up his hat. It's Elliot Gould. Whoa. Whoa. And, you know, we're all looking, we're all <laughs> sort of standing there trying to act cool. But, you know, we're like, wow, it's Elliot Gould. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah, yeah, look at this. Yeah. And so he and Frank clearly knew each other. And as you know, he did. He did a uh, cameo. He's in the movie. Yeah. In the movie, right, yeah. so they clearly they clearly knew each other from that. And huh. <laughs> it's just one of those one of those things. And so and so the um, the audition ended. I flew back home and I waited. I don't know a couple more weeks. And I was getting impatient. And I didn't know how long I was supposed to give them mm. before I was I expected to hear from them. And as far as so you I was, knew, I was, like, you knew that I this was, was new to this. Right. And you knew that this was specifically that they were working on a new movie at this point. Right. I think or I had, did. Yeah. I think I did. Yeah. Okay. And so finally, uh, someone said, yeah, we, we want to use you. We want you to, um, work for us. And I thought, great. Yeah. And I jumped in the plane and I flew down, and I showed up on the set the next day, and that's not how it works. They have yeah. these things called call sheets, 
And if your name's not on the call sheet, you're not supposed to show up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I showed up. And they were very nice about it. And I, and I stayed in the background. And um, I remember the scene was where they were auditioning for Dabney Coleman. Oh, okay. Oh, sure. Right? And um, Gates McFadden was the secretary. Yeah. So she was, went by yeah. Cheryl McFadden. Yeah, I remember she was there. And I rem- I remember, this is so funny. I remember, and you sh- you need to go back and see if you see this. Because I don't think that they fixed this. But as I'm watching the, the scene, right, and Dabney Coleman says, I think I smell something here. And then everybody turns to Ralph, and he says, why does everybody always blame dogs? Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And if you look in the far corner, you'll see David Rudman's hair. Oh. Oh, is that right? Yeah, we'll have to go back and look. You know, yeah, you I, go- <laughs> we watched that that two-minute clip, you know, several weeks ago. I don't think any of us noticed that that was, that you could see that. And I saw, and I saw that, and I went up to someone, one of the production assistants, production assistants, and I said, you know, when they, when they were filming this, you could see, you could see David's head. <laughs> and he just looked at me like, who the blank are you? Yeah. I was <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> like, okay, this, I really am new to this. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so they didn't, nobody noticed. They didn't do anything about it. Huh. And I've always, I've always looked at that and it's like, yep, they should have listened to me. Yeah. We'll have to go back and, and look for that. <laughs> so eventually then you, you did get called for your actual, your performing yeah. days. I stayed, I ended up mo- moving to, uh, New York for the summer. I stayed with some friends of the family in Scarsdale, rented a room. And then, um, you know, I'd either get a phone call or if I was doing the next day, I'd get a call sheet. You know, I ended up total, I think I ended up working a total of about 18 days. Okay. Wow. Almost three weeks. And and you mentioned that one of your earlier days, you had a, a pretty memorable assignment. Near, like very, yes. very close to Jim Henson. Well, this was this was the very first scene I I <laughs> shot. Oh wow! Very first. So there, you know, there's a there's a room with the craft service off to the off to the side where you hang out, you know, while while you're waiting to be called. And they called my name. I'm like, okay. And I go out to the set, and the set was the producer's office that you see right at the beginning of the musical number, uh, you can't take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. And the entire set uh, was built on a platform about four feet off the ground, four feet off the floor. And then where the Muppeteers worked, you could take out segments that were, I'd say say about four by six feet you could take out segments of the stage and then the Muppeteers would work in there. And then because everybody's at different heights, you have them working. You have the short ones uh, standing on these things they called apples, which were like um, uh, wooden boxes Mm -hmm. and other, you know, the taller ones stood on the floor. But I didn't, I didn't do that because of what I was doing. 
I was working Kermit the Frog with Jim Henson. <laughs> wow. That, that's a heck of and a thing to be doing on, the, on your first day. That is, that is an amazing thing to try to keep your composure about as your, as your debut as a Muppeteer. And the way that it worked was that um, Kermit was playing the banjo and Jim was working Kermit's body and his strumming hand. And then I was pulling a string on the body of the banjo itself. And as I pulled the string up and down, his fingering hand went up and down the neck right. of the banjo. And they, they, they rehearsed a choreographed set of moves with me, which didn't really work as I, when, I, when I looked at the finished product because I think the hand stuck. But it did move. <laughs> but I was, I was lying on the actual platform itself. And then I was reaching over with my hand to pull the string while they did this. And so I think they, we shot a couple of takes and they needed to take a break to adjust the lighting or whatever. And the, the platform itself was just filthy, Ugh. absolutely filthy. And, and so, you know, someone came over and said, Hey, do you, do you want us to sweep this up? We can do that for you. And I'm like, Oh no, oh no, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified that if I got up and I moved off to the side, I would never get to go back. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and there was no way on God's good earth that you were going to drag me <laughs> away from being Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Oh, my of course. Yeah, gosh. That's understandable. Yes. Yeah. That's wow. That's really exciting. Were you trying to like match the way like a, person's hand would really move on a on a real banjo or did you like did you not quite have to worry about that well no no they they choreographed the whole thing for me. okay they told me they told me what they wanted me go to this do. way then like, this way then, yeah down you know like down down and then back up yeah. or you know it was something like that yeah well it looks yeah. great oh that movie, was all choreographed so. yeah yeah, well, that's yeah, that is all amazing. So, um, so, and you're also in the minutes that we're uh, talking about today, which is minutes yes. 77 and 78 of the Muppets Take Manhattan, in which the frogs try a new place for lunch, and Kermit plays a familiar tune on water glasses. Yes. Um, so these minutes pick up with the gang in the booth at Pete. They're very sad because Kermit is missing. Fozzie uh, just last week said that the show must go on. And now he says, Kermit would want it that way. And everybody shakes their heads sadly and says, yeah, which is like, this has to be the saddest ever take on the show must go on because they're saying yes. it, but <laughs> none of them really want the show to go on. Their um, hearts are doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess, Tim, are you, you're in this shot, this group shot in the booth? Well, it's interesting. It depends on the point of view. Oh, okay. When you... When, when they walk in initially and you see them walk past the group, I'm doing Janice. Okay. When, when the frogs are walking past? To get when, the, when, when the frogs are walk walking yeah. past. When you're seeing the group from that point of view, I'm doing Janice. Okay. And, but like when at the end of that clip, when you see everybody peeking over the top of the bench, I'm not doing Janice. Okay. Somebody else, somebody else is doing Janice. Because I ended up doing something just seconds later. 
Okay. Yeah, that's interesting when that, they, that the puppets change hands so much just in a single scene like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so then, yeah, we do cut to outside where the, the, the frogs from Mad Ave Advertising are walking by. Bill compliments Jill on her presentation. She says it was thanks to Phil's flowchart. They walk right past Pete's Luncheonette, <laughs> and Gil suggests... Yes. Gil suggests trying it as a new place for lunch. This is such a coincidence. Like, this is really, it's so lucky that they happen to be in this neighborhood walking by this restaurant, or this movie would have had a much sadder ending. Right. Isn't that such a coincidence, though? Yes. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, remarkable. Yeah, out, of, out of all the nondescript diners in Manhattan, <laughs> right. they, they chose Pizza Luncheonette. Yeah, but they've, they've never been there before, so they want to try something new. Um, and I also wanted to mention, uh, we talked in previous episodes about how the fact that the, the frogs, the, the other three frogs all sound like Kermit and what a funny concept that is. I don't think I mentioned that when, uh, our friend Joe Hennis and I interviewed Kathy Mullen for the Tough Pigs website, we asked her about that. Uh, we asked her if they were instructed to do an impression of Kermit the Frog. And she said, we all did impressions of Kermit the Frog. They didn't tell us. We said, let's all do Kermit, okay? So we did it, and everybody laughed, so we kept it. So they uh-huh. all just kind of decided that that's how frogs talk, and it came out. <laughs> it's came funny. Out well. it, it works. It's hilarious, yeah. yeah. And they all do the, the hmm thing, which happens a lot hmm. in the hmm. scene, <laughs> which was... Um, although... Yeah, go ahead. Well, just no. Although I do always think when uh, when Bill the Frog says, "Now this time I'll take the bill, Gil," uh, that always sounds like Boober to me. Like oh. I, for whatever reason, the rest of the time it sounds like Dave doing a Kermit impression, but he just like tips uh. it a little. It's like a little thrownier, <laughs> so it sounds like Boober. You know? Yeah, I know. yeah. A, a lot of the Muppet voices sound similar to other Muppet voices, anyway. So. <laughs> well, it's right. like it's like the first time I heard Yoda. I th- I thought, oh my God, they're doing Grover. Yeah, right, right. like a like a Grover's very old on the Grover. swamp planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a spill over there. Yeah, I, I hear people compare Yoda to Piggy sometimes too. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, so as they're entering the restaurant, they all do the mm, thing, which I guess was sort of like a <laughs> something that Jim Henson did when someone would ask him a question that he wasn't sure what his opinion was. He would go. Mm. Uh, so the camera lingers on Kermit as he comes into Pete's and looks around, which like, we're sort of waiting maybe when we're watching this for the first time to see if he recognizes the place, but there's nothing. He just, he just walks uh, right in and walks right past the booth full of his sad friends and everybody is looking down so they don't see him. (laughs) Another remarkable coincidence that nobody's looking up. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just ratcheting up the tension at that point. Um, I feel like this is uh, gags like this are very frustrating for kids. And there are a lot of gags like this in kids entertainment. It's like in uh, an American tale when Fievel is separated from his family and he has a few col- close calls, like he's right around the corner from them, but, but they don't run into each other. And of course on Sesame street, all the times when Snuffy had those close calls uh, where he almost met big birds friends and then didn't. Yes. And and for kids, it's just like they're right there. They're just they're right there. And, but you gotta look. Yeah, yeah, just endlessly frustrated. Well, they don't. They don't. They don't draw it out, though. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, they didn't spend. They didn't spend a lot of time, right, 
making you wonder yeah. if they were going if they were going to hook up. Yeah. Right. Although I will say, watching it two minutes at a time, the like the fact that this clip spoiler this clip cuts off just before Gonzo sees him. Like it felt like it was, it was so because I, I you know I don't know watching the two minutes I don't know exactly how far we're gonna get yeah and I'm just like oh, are I they know. gonna see him and then they didn't you know <laughs> it does yeah prolong the suspense and it, and right. it cuts For off right right before the funniest improv that I and blooper that I <laughs> I saw when I was filming oh well yeah we're still oh, gonna want to hear that please. when we get to yeah, yeah when we get to the end yes. of this clip <laughs> so yeah that's a teaser hold that thought. Um, so yeah, it's, as, as it's Anthony, when they stay, it's when they stay in character after after the scene cuts that you see some really really outrageous. Oh yeah, that's it. Like you talk to actors, like celebrities who have been in Muppet productions, they talk about that all the time. How yeah, they just they just stay in character all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um. So as Anthony mentioned, uh, Bill says this time I'll take the bill, Gil. Gil says, oh, good, something from the grill, Jill. And Jill says, no, meat makes me ill, Gil. And then they all go, mm. <laughs> so silly, but hilarious. It's, it, it makes me laugh every single time. Like, yeah. it's so, like you say, it's so dumb, but it's just, it's perfect. Yeah, it's, yes. it's the, the next uh, step of them all having rhyming names. Like, it's it's just taking it one step further into ridiculousness. Right. Um, I will note that this bit was not in the March 7th, 1983 draft of the screenplay. In that draft, instead, it's just uh, Bill says the soup looks good, and then there's another frog named Will who says he's going to have the fish cakes. Now, fish cakes are pretty funny, but they're not as funny as something from the grill, Jill. So this was a good change. Right. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got rhyming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, rhyming is funnier than fish cakes. You hear it here first, folks. Uh, so you've got. I think that that's got to be an advertising slogan. Remember this: rhyming is better than fish cakes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. uh, so Scooter oh, says that they better go to the theater. And that's about the time when uh, Kermit slash Phil starts absentmindedly clinking water glasses on the table with his spoon. Um, my first question here is why they just sat down. Why are there half empty water glasses on their table already? Or I guess if I were an optimist, I would say they were well, half full. My, glass, my guess is that the table hadn't been bust yet. Right, because Jenny is just sitting in a booth. Yeah, and they seated them, and they seated themselves. That's true. They didn't wait. Yeah, they didn't wait to be seated. Right. So Jenny and Piggy are the are the waiters, and they're so sad that they're they can't they can't be bothered to bust the tables. Right. Right. They're they're stuffed into a booth with what eleven of their friends. Yeah, something like that. I I did not count, but yeah. 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 So all right. Well, actually, Tim, Tim, that's a question I was wondering. So there's, I think, ten Muppets in that booth. How many how many puppeteers are down there during those shots? Oh man, <laughs> it gets crowded. Yeah, let me tell you. Oh yeah, I mean there was because um, there's a couple of live hand characters too. For that for that scene, I I think it was one one person per Muppet. Yeah, I did. I sometimes you'll have you'll have someone doing two. I did. Bunsen and Beaker in mm. a scene, which has yet to come up. 
So as yet to come, I got to do Bunsen and Beaker the at the same, same time. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So that so that's during the performance, I assume. Like that's kind of all they're in the movie. That's when you've. It's when you've got everybody backstage right after Kermit has regained his memory. Mm. Sure. And he says, "We're gonna put on the show," you know, and everybody gets excited. Right. Yeah. I was. I was very happy. I was very, I was so excited to do Beaker, one of my favorites. And I got to do the Beaker double take. You have to look for the Beaker double take. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, so, so Bunsen's a live hand character. Does he just have his, what, one of his hands pinned to his chest or something? I mean, if you're doing Bunsen. Oh, and Beaker, we were, we were, we were so crowded together. I suppose. Yeah. His hands are just laying, laying. That like, basically it was only side, head and shoulders that you were seeing. Uh, sure. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, there's so um, many, there's so many know, I, back there. Oh, I, when um, you know, under the under the very hot, and I know between takes, when we were all crammed in there, um, a PA would come by with C and ski wipes that you could you could cool off mm. with. Huh. And boy, oh boy, wow, <laughs> yeah. those were those were appreciated. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, especially when you're just stuck there for for the whole however yeah. many takes you have to do. And your 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 performance is above you, but you are looking downward. You're looking yeah. in the opposite at the direction monitor. at the TV monitor. Right. And the hardest part it once once you do it for a few seconds and it clicks, then it's fine. But at first, it gets very disorienting to turn the puppet's head in one direction, but have it turn in the opposite direction when you're looking at oh, the screen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how they get used to that. I don't. Uh, yeah. If if you perfected that, I that's extremely impressive. But I had the benefit at that point. Was it eighty three? I had spent a year. I think at that point doing local television and I had been using a monitor as part of my, um, you know, as part of the performance. So I had a lot of experience doing that. So you were doing the same Muppet style thing where you would have, it was backwards to you. Yeah. Oh yeah. That must've given you a real advantage. I I was used to it at that point, fortunately. Yeah. Yeah. That was lucky. Um, yeah, so Kermit is is tapping these glasses, which that's actually another interesting puppetry thing going on there because normally we can see Kermit's arm rods on the ends of his hands and we don't here, but he's wearing a suit, so I assume that he has like some form of arm rod or armature just like sticking through the arm of his suit to help him tap those glasses. I'm sure he does. Something like that. Um, so yeah, so he's, as he taps these glasses, a melody starts to take shape. And it's together again. Which uh, I assume. What, what a coincidence. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
the, well, the, that's what that's what I love is that it's like that they happen to be the right notes. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. And also makes me wonder: was Jeff Moss instructed to write a song that could be easily replicated by filling up glasses of water? It's just it's just a matter of getting the uh, levels of the water just right. Yes. You know, a little trial and error. But, yeah. Um, so. Actually, I'm going to play this for you guys um, just by holding up my phone to the, the microphone. But the other night, uh, my wife and frequent podcast guest, Stacy and I tried to recreate this by filling up uh, some pint glasses and a measuring cup. I think we came pretty close. Uh, for the listeners at home, I will just like cut the actual audio in. But I think it came out pretty close. Let me see if you can hear this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, so it can be <laughs> yes. done. That's funny. And if anyone out there wants to try it, I, I encourage you to uh, try that and send me the results. Well, and I, I actually really love that the third time Kermit does it, or Philip Philip Phil does it in the movie, he hits a discordant note, kind of, on the third one. Yeah. Yes. Um, which, like, like, he hits it a little bit wrong. He hits it a little bit wrong, which, like, g- gives it a touch of realism, and I'm glad they left it <laughs> in. I, I don't know why. It's It's always amused me, you know? Yeah. It, it, yeah. it makes it feel like it's just happening rather than like, you know, a, yeah, a plan it's, it's more organic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so over in the other booth, Dr. Teeth overhears it and starts to absentmindedly hum along with it. Right. And I, I like that you can kind of see the realization gradually dawn on everyone's faces in that booth full of Muppets. I, I think Jenny is actually the first of them to figure it out. And then like Ronnie and then all the other Muppets figure it out. And then eventually Fozzie is going together again. And they, that's when they all, or, you know, they sort of perk up and can it be? And they all look over the side of the booth at the next booth. So as you're, you're saying, Tim, that's when there was like some of the puppets got swapped around to different performers for that. Well, when the camera angle um, changed to looking um, upward at the, at the group looking over the top of the booth. um, Yeah. I, I know that I would, I had been switched out for someone else doing Janice, which was fine because I ended up, I ended up, doing scooter at the end of that scene oh Oh, okay so yeah they look and they see all they see is gill and bill yes uh gill and bill glance up at at all these strangers staring at them they don't seem that alarmed they just seem kind of like oh that's interesting that all these people are staring at us (laughs) and then the muppets just shake their heads and sink back into the booth and that is where this clip ends so as far as we know Right now, as we mentioned, that they're they're never gonna find it. You know, they're never gonna see Kermit. It's gonna be a very sad ending to this movie. They're gonna have to put the show on without him. That's the end. <laughs> but that's not what's gonna happen because there's more to the movie that we're gonna see yes. next week. Um, so, Tim, I am very curious to hear about this uh, outtake that you were mentioning. Okay, right afterwards, when Gonzo says, "No, it's Kermit," and then. Piggy comes running over and she goes, Kirby! And she jumps on him. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And that's supposed to be cut into the scene. Well, the first time they did it, she jumps on him. She goes, Kirby! And jumps on him. And then, and then Gonzo comes 
running into the into the shot. He goes, Piggy, and he jumps on top of Piggy. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and Piggy shrieks, the expletives fly. <laughs> I I I think that was the first time I heard a Muppet swear. Sure, yeah, yeah. And, ah. Oh, she has a command of, of the language she does. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, man. And then the next time they did the take, she comes Piggy comes running in, she goes, Kermy, jumps on top of Kermy, and then she immediately whips her head up, whips it around, and stares daggers at Gonzo, who just <laughs> casually saunters on by. Like I wasn't gonna do anything. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was that uh, was Dave Golds doing Gonzo, I I assume. Oh yes. I remember I remember the day that we were sitting around and, and Dave Goltz um I think as Gonzo uh announced that he was going to drive Frank Oz insane and then he proceeded I don't I don't remember what he did but he proceeded to do it. It worked. <laughs> it worked. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. I love that. Yeah, it sounds like uh, obviously a lot of work, but definitely a lot of fun too. Yes, especially with those guys. Wow. Um, yeah. So I guess any other final thoughts on um, let, let's say any final thoughts on this clip, Anthony? I'll start with you this time. I love that one of the first things we see in these minutes is a Manhattan Melodies poster hanging up at Pete's. Which oh, yeah. last week we were talking about how the advertising budget for. Manhattan Melodies is out of control, you know, getting the posters on taxi cabs and stuff. Uh, I love that they're yeah. also just hanging up a poster at Pete's, like as though it's like a community <laughs> billboard or something. You know what I mean? Hey, they, they want all their customers to know about their show. Sure, of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah, it's free advertising yeah. space. Um, yeah, so then, uh, Tim, any uh, final thoughts about this clip or any other, like, memories or stories you might want to share? Well, as the... As the scene continues, you see the whole gang uh, swarm Kermit against the wall. And as everybody comes in, I was Scooter, and I was okay. I was I was closest to the camera, and so Scooter was in the back of the crowd. And this was a very difficult bit to do because. Scooter's eyes are his glasses, right. and but you're looking at Scooter from behind, which you rarely do. Oh, yeah, I guess that's and true. And so the first time that we rehearsed it, I remembered that um, when the when the other frogs said something and the and the group turned their heads to look at the frogs that I just turned my I just turned Scooter's head straight to the side. And that that was that was bad be, mm. because it drew attention to Scooter's glasses. Sure. Huh. And so Frank worked with me to have me and and the interesting thing is that I think I see humans do this too when they're acting is that instead of turning your head, just rotate it to the side like that, is that you angle it and tilt it slightly uh, huh. as you're doing so. So it's a much more subtle move. 
Hmm. So it it shows it shows that you're turning to pay attention. But I guess I guess the thinking was that it wasn't so um, dramatic that it drew attention right. to him as he was doing it. And it turned out for huh. for such a for such a small little motion like that, it ended up being a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that people watching the movie would never in a million years even think about, but they probably would notice it if they suddenly became aware of Scooter's eyeballs being on his glasses. Yes. So, wow. Yeah, that's what, that's really interesting. And did you were you in the wedding scene at the end of the movie also? Um, when you see the wedding veils, I'm the one in the middle in the bridal shop. Oh, okay. With the wedding veils mm-hmm. that nice. go up and down. Somebody's awesome. getting married, you know, the I was yeah. I was the I was the center wedding veil. That scene okay. that scene took over thirty five takes. Do I was sitting on this metal scaffolding, and I remember I was wearing sneakers, and my right foot was next to a spotlight, and that thing was hot. These spotlights, Ooh. these spotlights get so hot. I remember, and, and during the same scene, I remember I was watching somebody had made this little miniature hot air balloon out of a um, latex balloon, four pieces of string, and one of those little, little paper cups that you put ketchup in at, at a fast food place. And it gotten stuck in a rafter oh. somewhere. And... I would just watch it periodically. It would rise up and then it would cool off and it would settle right back down. And then it would huh. heat up and expand and go up and then down. And, huh. it, and it, and it kept my mind off the fact that my <laughs> foot was expanding so much <laughs> in the heat Ow. that I thought it was going to burst through my sneaker. So I asked, wow. I asked one of the, Techies, you know, if I could move the spotlight, if they, if I could move the spotlight over a little bit, and he just looked at me with his stone face and he said, "Union." I'm like, "Oh, oh uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's a union thing." <laughs> so I, I suffered for my craft for that scene. Yeah, clearly. Wow. Um, and why did it take 35 takes? Was it just the choreography? I don't know if it was the lighting or if it was the choreography. Or or what? I just remember my my foot swelling up like a balloon. Wow, yeah, that sounds painful. <laughs> um, but at least when you watch the movie, you get to point out to people like, oh yeah, I'm I'm that veil. Oh, it's it's fun. See, I was in the Muppet movie. Oh, what did what did you do? Oh, dogs, frogs, pigs, chickens, wedding veils, top hats, lettuce, asparagus. Yeah, Kermit's <laughs> right arm. Yeah. Oh, they they <laughs> we we had a line for the wedding song at the end. And there was a whole queue of, of fruits and vegetables. And I was, I was the asparagus at the end. Wow. And, yeah. and so the, the line was, the line was yeah. let us wish them joy and hope. It's a shame. They can't elope. Oh yeah. That's, you know what? That comic, is actually, it? it is. That's in the comic book adaptation. Oh really? It's not in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, we, filmed, so, we filmed it. Wow. And I got, yeah, you got that's it. so interesting. Oh, and I wonder why they decided to cut it from the movie, though. Uh, I don't know. 
I don't know. It's such a quick, funny joke. Right? And the yeah. other the other thing was that the end of the end of the movie was supposed to be oh, I've got so many stories. But the end of the movie, we were actually we were actually going to go to LA for a week. And yeah. the end was going to be Kermit and Piggy sailing off it flying off into the sunset in their convertible. Oh wow. I was so psyched, like I was gonna get to fly to LA and 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 spend a week in LA filming this. But uh I think they ran out of budget. Uh which is why you ended up with what you what you did. Yeah, it is kind of a quick ending after the actual yeah. wedding. They were they were gonna get into into a, a convertible and they were going to fly fly off into the sunset. Yeah, I get like a reference to Greece, I I guess. Yeah. Presumably that would be. Oh yeah, yeah. The um, the actor that performed the wedding ceremony, Doctor yeah. Cyril Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. He was the minister at Broadway Presbyterian Church, one hundred fourth and Broadway. <laughs> so, okay, they really got married. So they're legally married. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, that then the question is: Are did did Jim Henson and Frank Oz get married? <laughs> <laughs> if it was oh, if it was all real yeah um so you mentioned dogs are you in the the kennel scene with with ralph as one of those dogs? i was the bloodhound oh really okay yeah i was the blood so, hound. We, so that's uh, actually something we were wondering about when when all of the dogs start making fun of snookums yes after after james coco leaves was that all just yes. improvised were, were you guys all just oh yeah whatever? i think so I mean, we were we were just, you know, when um, Richard Hunt said "you're a squishy bottom," <laughs> you know, yeah. we were just laughing so hard. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that definitely was, sounds ad libbed. Yeah, it was so funny. Ah, oh, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, oh yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear yeah. it, of course, and I'm not surprised. Was, right? Yeah, we as fans, it was it was also fun wrangling the doves. At the very end, hmm. no, they just threw all the doves out and they landed wherever. If you look, you look very carefully on Rizzo's nose. One of them is sitting on Rizzo's nose while he's hopping up and down. It just it, it doesn't move. It just sits there and bobs up and down. Oh, that's funny. But we at, when when the scene ended, we had to go and scoop up all the doves. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were that, that seems we like were also that should be a union ones. thing. Yeah, that's yeah. Huh. yeah, you should have gotten another credit I for know. that. <laughs> oh, I was just I was just so psyched the first time I saw my name in the credits. And yeah, well I guess they had the premiere at Lincoln Center. You know, at one of the Oh yeah. nice. And um when we when we sat down for it, Carol Spinney ended up sitting in the seat right behind me. So, you know, um, we talked briefly and I um, told them how I thanked them again for being such a gracious host for me on on the Sesame Street set. And um, so we watched the movie and I remember that in the what you see in the theaters, my name flashed in the credits. But in the version that they showed at the premiere, everything rolled scroll. And when, oh, okay. when my name scrolled by, he, Carol Spenny leaned forward and he squeezed my shoulder. 
And I was uh, just like, oh my God, this is so yeah. awesome. Sure, yeah. Oh, he was such a sweetie. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, what an amazing and I And so. I actually got to thank him 30 years later when um, they did the um, documentary, I Am Big Bird. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was I was one of the patrons for it. I I oh. donated. Oh yeah. And as a result, nice. I got invited to the premiere when they had a premiere in DC. And Carol was there. And I got to introduce myself to him and just tell him, you know, how much I appreciated um, you know, his kindness. At, he didn't remember me at that point. I mean, that was thirty years later. Okay. But he was—he was, was just—he was a very sweet man. Oh yeah, I mean, I everything you ever hear about that guy is that he—yeah, he was just the sweetest, most gracious guy. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that must have been great. Um, so yeah, you—you you already um, answered the one of our two uh, concluding questions that we ask our guests, which is, do you remember the first time you saw it? I assume the first time you saw it in in its entirety was at the premiere. Yes. Yeah, so that would have been a thrill. Were there any of the like celebrity cameo guest stars there at, at that? Do you remember? Uh, to be honest, I don't. I know the Muppeteers were there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just it was just amazing that I that that I was sitting there with Carol. I mean, that was all I was really yeah. focused. On. Yeah, that's exciting yeah. enough. Yeah, right. Actually, was he on set for? Is he playing Big Bird at the wedding? Or no? He... no. Here's the here's the thing. Big Bird was initially not going to be in that shot. It was the oh. two-headed monster. No kidding. And I was going to be the two-headed monster. Both of them? Oh, wow. Both, of yeah. Both heads? Both heads. I have a, I have a photo <laughs> wow. of me holding them over my head, just going like this. <laughs> um, That's great. But they pulled, they pulled me out, and they put another, another – um, person in, and they they replaced me with Big Bird. Okay, but not that it wasn't Carol. But it wasn't Carol. No, it was right, it was okay. like somebody at my level of, of somebody else. Yeah, in, yeah for in sure. The, what, uh, it wasn't it wasn't even one of the one of the regulars. Okay. okay. Wow. Huh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so the other question then that we like to ask is, how do you rank the Muppets Take Manhattan alongside the other Muppet movies? I, I assume it has a special place in your heart because of your experience with it. Oh, I rank it right up. I haven't seen all of them, but I rank it up at the top, mm -hmm. except maybe in a tie with the Muppet movie. I sure. was not, okay. I was not a great fan of the, of the great Muppet caper. Okay. Hmm. There, I just, I just, I haven't had too many opportunities to, to see it, but I just remember the first time that I saw it and I don't know. I, it didn't feel like a Muppet movie the way that the first one did yeah. when hmm, okay. I went to see but you know, sure. I'm kind of I'm yeah. kind of partial, and I also I was also I'll, I'll be honest I was also kind of upset with Muppets Most Wanted for uh, recycling our song together again. Oh, together, again. yeah, yeah. That it is a little bit anticlimactic that they end with that. Yeah, in that movie, just I I don't know. It just to, to me it felt it felt wrong. Yeah, and they also do that super cheap-looking green screen effect where everybody's stuck to the wall. Oh yeah, in that scene. Yeah, that's that's it's, it, yeah. It is definitely not a great ending for that movie, but yeah, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, so I guess um, if if there's nothing else, um, we can wrap things up for this episode. 
Everyone, please make sure you check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, and all those things. Our logo is by Morgan Davey. Our theme music is by Stacey Rosen. Um, if you have any thoughts on this episode, uh, these minutes or future minutes, please send us an email at moving right along at toughpigs.com. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. Um, Anthony is not on Twitter, but he's on Letterboxd. Remind me again, it's at Zeppo Marxist at, on Letterboxd. At Zeppo Marxist, indeed. To read <laughs> Anthony's opinions on movies. And listeners, if you don't mind, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can give us a review. And please tell all of your friends about the show. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hi-ho.